I know it's been a couple of weeks, but I am back. I was out sick. I was on the road. And so I am finally back after a couple of weeks hiatus for the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. I'm Zach Farmer. And there's a lot that's happened in the last couple of weeks. A lot that's happened since the last time I did a full episode. Uh, the Zags knocked off Kentucky at Rupp Arena. Santa Clara and USF got into a rumble on the hilltop. LMU has been left all for dead because they only have six healthy scholarship players. And, oh, by the way, St. Mary's has won the WCC championship. Um, And I'll start there because that is the the news coming out of the weekend that St. Mary's did claim at least a share of the WCC championship with their 88-62 win over San Diego on Saturday night. Uh, It is the first time since 2011-12 that St. Mary's has claimed back-to-back WCC titles and only the second time under Randy Bennett. Uh, And on Thursday, they will look to claim a outright title when they take on Pepperdine in Malibu. So for this St. Mary's team, this is a team that just has kept it rolling. They have kept it moving. This is 15 straight for this squad. They've only lost once since the early part of December, which, again, when you take a look back at where this team was in November at the beginning of December, it is a monumental flip from where we saw this team, where we all thought they were dead. We all left them for dead. And here they are not only now with a WCC championship, but are very comfortably into the NCAA tournament, looking somewhere between a six and a seven scene at, at this point. And could it get better over the next couple of weeks? The 15th straight is the nation's longest winning streak, longest active winning streak. Uh, it is the second best in St. Mary's history, 19 being that, um, that St. Mary's record, and they would be able to tie it if they were to keep it going and run to into a WCC tournament championship. They'll also this week they're also going to be going for for an undefeated WCC schedule, and it would be only the it would be the first time that St. Mary's has accomplished the goal, and it would all. And it would also only be the 16th time that any WCC team has been able to accomplish the feat. And it would be the first non-Gonzaga team since 1992 to be able to do it. And there's a lot of good that has come out of the last, obviously, the last few weeks. And I'm going to kind of kind of key it there. And the first off is Alex Dukas. Uh, Alex Dukas has come alive. Alex he is looking like the guy that we thought he could be. Uh, I think this is the best we've seen Alex Dukas play maybe ever on a consistent basis. Double-digit scoring games in eight of the last nine. He's shooting 58% from three in that stretch. Uh, he's ha- he's also started to play a little bit more in the four role a bit more as well in this stretch, which again, like, I'll talk a little bit about just the necessity that that is with Joshua Jefferson being announced out for the year. Mitchell Saxon has also been a good, a really good sign over the last couple of weeks, Uh, 20 points in back-to-back games. 
Uh, he's he's also starting to pl- step up his game and play at a different level, and he has started to really step into a little bit more of an offensive role uh, in the last couple of weeks with Joshua Jefferson being gone. This is this St. Mary's team does not really seem like it's missed a beat. In fact, it looks like it's almost kind of stepped up even more and looks even more focused in these past couple of games without the likes of Jefferson on the roster. And so that does lead me to the, the front court depth of this squad. And there's a little bit of a concern, I think. And first off is with the, the injury to Joshua Jefferson knee injury, which will have him out for the rest of the rest of the season. And that's, it is a crushing blow for St. Mary's. I think it, it really limits them on the ceiling front of how how far they could potentially go. Uh, we saw how critical he was against Gonzaga uh, up in Spokane. We saw how critical he was against Colorado State. We saw how critical he was against the, against USF the first time around. And I do think they they did miss him uh, in that game the other night where USF just barely missed out on beating St. Mary's and Moraga. 11 points, 11 and a half points, 5.7 rebounds in WCC play. He's been shooting 54% and 40% uh, since the calendar has turned to 2024. It does mean that you're going to see a lot more of Luke Barrett. does mean you're going to see a lot more of Mason Forbes. And we've start, we've seen some nice things from both of them, not only recently, but throughout the course of the season. Uh, foul trouble, I think, is going to be a critical component for both of them to make sure that they are able to stay on the court. Uh, without without Jefferson, it does make this team a little bit less I'm trying to think, a little bit a little bit less um, obviously a little bit less athletic, but also less versatile uh, than than what th- this team would be if they still had him. And another and another injury that just kind of really takes it to this front court or at least the observation of an injury. Uh, Harry Wessels on Saturday did notice he had his left shoulder in a, uh, in a sling on the sidelines on Saturday. And no no diagnosis. I do not have any additional information on what that is, but it's not a good sign for a team that is already missing someone on that front line. And now you you're missing your backup center. It's going to make it a lot tougher on this team to to potentially play some of the bigger teams that they might see, even the likes of say Gonzaga, uh, as we know, like that's a, they're a team that relies so heavily on their front court uh, and the size of their front court that come Saturday, this could be a factor um, in both cases, obviously more so for Jefferson than for Wessels. But again, like you're, it's testing the depth of this team. And I, cause Barrett Dukas and, um, Mason Forbes, who are going to be sliding into that those roles and then those minutes at the four and the five, I think are going to be fine. Um, but I don't know how sustainable it is uh, going for not necessarily for the next couple of weeks or whatnot in the NC in the WCC tournament, but for the NCAA tournament, I think it limits the number of teams that you're going to be able to match up with. And if they get a good draw, 
maybe it won't matter. But as we as we've seen, it's been really helpful that St. Mary's has been able to adapt and play different styles as they've seen different teams in the NCAA tournament the last few years. And also part of it is also just the number of minutes that we might have to see from the likes of Mitchell Saxon. Uh, Saxon is also another guy who is, is not, um, he's, we know how good he can be, but we've also seen him get a little bit tired again when he has to play 30, 35, 40 minutes in a game. And he might have to carry a little bit more of the burden, a little bit more of the load on that front, uh, as we get deeper into the season. And and to an extent, you kind of expect that to be the case, like as you get into the tournament, because now you're shortening your roster, you're shortening uh, the guys that you expect to really contribute, uh, and you have little margin for error. And the one thing at the very least, you know, like you're going to get really good play out of sacks and mis- nearly mistake-free basketball. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to kind of just see how it, he is used uh, minutes wise as we get closer and closer to March. So this St. Mary's team is 23 and six. They're 14 and 0 in the WCC. They've continued to climb in the brackets. They have two remaining games in the regular season, plus the WCC tournament at Pepperdine on Thursday, Gonzaga for the return game on Saturday in Moraga, the WCC tournament which at this stage they are they are slotted in as the one seed. They will be the one in Vegas. So they will be playing the early game on Monday, the the 12th. Monday the 11th, sorry. Uh, Monday the 11th at 6 p.m. They will be the lead game in that one. And then the two, the two seed will be playing in that nightcap in the semis. And so we're able to talk a little bit more about like, because the WCC tournament isn't completely seed wise, isn't clear yet. Uh, but we also, but we are at least starting to see some level of clarity of who's likely going to be where we know for sure. St. Mary's is the one we know for sure. Pacific is the nine and everything else is up for grabs. Two through eight are still undecided, even though a couple of them are, pretty much locked in um, or are likely to be locked in pretty quickly. So looking at two through four, and we'll stop start there at the top, Gonzaga, Santa Clara, and USF, not in that order right now, uh, still fighting for two, three, and four. And at this stage, Santa Clara, with its loss on Saturday to Gonzaga, has lost out on its shot to be in the two seed. So they are now stuck into e- either being the three or the four. And they need a lot of help to actually make it be the three. Uh, they will need to not only beat Portland and USF this week, they will then also have to make sure that hope that USF loses to Gonzaga on Thursday as well at the Chase Center. So it's still possible. But it is one of those where USF does control a little bit of its own destiny to stay out of the four seed. And very, very well could end up being the three. 
But USF is still holding out that they could end up being the two seed. And for that to happen, there's only really one scenario right now because Gonzaga holds a lot of the tiebreakers. Um, and actually, I think they hold all of the tiebreakers, regardless of the scenarios that happen this week. If USF gets the two, if they can beat Gonzaga, they beat Santa Clara, and then Gonzaga also loses to St. Mary's on Saturday. That's a scenario in which they can actually still sneak in and grab that two seed and not have to play until Monday night. Ember Gonzaga, they're the two seed if they win or if USF loses. Either one. And obviously they can take care of both of those things on Thursday when they meet when USF hosts Gonzaga at Chase Center. And USF hosting Gonzaga in the Warriors building is something that we talked a lot about before the year. And obviously the question was, is this going to hurt or help USF? And we're about to find out. I still don't know how much of a benefit it's going to be to be in that building as opposed to being on the hilltop. The initial thought still is it's like you don't want to lose that intimacy. You don't want to lose that vibe of being in your home building because it also, I mean, because it's also a scenario where it's your players will have to also get used to playing in that building again. And yes, they played in there earlier this year. They played Minnesota. They beat Minnesota in that building shot really well uh, in that Minnesota game. So it's not like they're unfamiliar with the rims, unfamiliar with the backdrop aren't, don't know how to play in that building because clearly they do. But it's how much of a home court advantage do you lose by moving there and playing Gonzaga on a, what will still count as a home court, a home game for USF, but what really is a neutral site game. And we know that USF in the games like this could use every advantage it possibly can get because they have had so many near misses uh, this season. They lost by five at Boise State. They lost by four to Grand Canyon. Lost by one to Utah State. Lost by five at Gonzaga. Lost by four at St. Mary's. They have been this close multiple times this year. And if you took, if you flipped even two of those around, we might be talking about this USF team being squarely on the bubble right there with Gonzaga. And the game that these two played just a few weeks ago, USF had a lead at the half. They won the rebounding battle. They were plus nine in that category, which was, is, was always, it's always a key against um, the Bulldogs to be able to kind of do that. But they also had the, but toward the end of the game, they got, they lost control of it there throughout the second half. They were down by 13 at one point. Uh, but then they really executed well late in that contest. Uh, they extended the game out. They were able to chip away. They got within one possession multiple times with less than 30 seconds left. USF did a lot of things well. Marcus Williams came alive late. We saw some really nice performances from um, Isaiah Hawthorne in that one. 
So we saw we saw glimpses of what they are capable of doing against Gonzaga. We saw glimpses of it just the other night in Moraga of what they're capable of doing. Marcus Williams played a great game uh, the other night in Moraga. But what they what this team needs to be able to break through and get over the hump is man, like you know who has been missing offensively in these games? Jonathan Mobo. He is the guy that needs to get involved early and he needs to be involved often. Uh, there was too many times in that game against Gonzaga where he looked timid, where he looked to pass out instead of just going straight up and attacking the basket like we had, like we've seen him do all year long. And we saw some similarly that against St. Mary's as well. It's and his shooting percentages still aren't they're still good in those ball games. His rebounding numbers have still been pretty good in those ball games, but the point total hasn't been there like we have seen throughout the rest of the season against every other team not named Gonzaga, not named St. Mary's. That's a key. He needs to be more active. He needs to be a better part of that offense if they're going to pull this off. Another key, and I mentioned mentioned a little bit, is the play of Marcus Williams is critical. Um, he played final total score against Gonzaga. Like he ended up having a pretty good night, but it came too late. They need him from the jump. They need him early on. They need someone else to also come along for the ride. Uh, but Marcus Williams is one of the keys. You need that leadership from your senior to be able to kind of really push them through. Uh, best you can. Keep Graham E.K. away from the basket. And I feel like that is that is way easier said than done. Uh, he has been an absolute monster in WCC play. He's averaging 17 points a game. He's averaging nearly seven and a half rebounds. He's arguably the, the WCC player of the year since the calendar has flipped to January. And the, that... Those are just a few things that like that USF really needs to actually look at um, and really focus on if they're going to have a shot against this Zag team. For Gonzaga in this one, first things first is defend the three because USF does rely still heavily on that shot. And they have so many shooters that you have to just chase, be able to chase them off and force them inside. Gonzaga's strength has been its rebounding, has been its interior defense. Even if like they don't have, obviously they don't have the shot blocker or anything like that, but they are able to defend well without fouling. They are able to clean up on the glass, force force guys toward Graham E.K., force guys toward Anton Watson, and I that to me is going to is one of the things that can really help Gonzaga in this contest. The other one is keep keeping Nolan Hickman hot. This, I know Nolan Hickman is maybe one of the more maligned players in the entire WCC, maybe on the entire West Coast, uh, because of what we have seen him be or not be over the last couple of years. And he is starting to look the part. He is starting to look like the shooting guard that everyone thought he would be. 
Uh, over the last six games, he's been averaging 17 points a game. He's shooting 55% from three. Uh, he's shooting 46% from three overall in WCC play, and he yet, he is the WCC's leader in that category. Nolan Hickman has just been stepping up his game night in and night out over the last month or so. And when he's like that, he makes the, this squad so much tougher to game plan for. I, it really does feel like the days of let Nolan Hickman shoot a clutch three and let him miss is over. And for Gonzaga, I mean, this is an easy one. It's keep feeding the beast. Keep feeding Graham E.K. Because he's averaging nearly 23 a game over his last three games. He's shooting 64% uh, from the field in WCC play. This Gonzaga team is playing really, really well. They still are playing with purpose. Keep in mind that this is a team that still is on the bubble. And you don't know how many bid stealers there are going to be come Selection Sunday. So you have to do everything you possibly can to bolster that resume. And this is going to be a quad one for US uh, for Gonzaga. They're going to have another quad one on Saturday against St. Mary's. So they get two opportunities to pick up quad one victories this last week going into Vegas. And if they do somehow pull these both off, either one or the other, it feels like if they're able to get them both, they even go into Vegas, I feel like much more comfortable about their situation and where they are going to be sitting uh, come come Selection Sunday. And it may not matter what they do in Vegas. Obviously, it would be, it'd be great for them if they are able to pick up one more victory, get to a title game, and then you really start to feel much more comfortable. But this, ta- but this team is also very capable of just running the table and, and getting a WCC championship in Vegas. They are still very capable of that. And keep in mind that there is still a small, albeit very unlikely window that Gonzaga still could end up claiming, share, sharing the WCC title. And that would require them beating St. Mary's and USF this week. And also for St. Mary's to lose to Pepperdine on Thursday in Malibu. So it is possible, not likely, but it is still possible for Gonzaga to come out with a with another WCC championship. Although again, not gonna not gonna put too too many eggs in that basket. The rest of the conference is still is still obviously in flux as well. You have San Diego at six and eight. There's right now in fifth place. They still have two more games to go. Pepperdine is at five and ten. They have one more game left. And again, that's the St. Mary's game. LMU four and ten, Portland three and three and eleven, and the one that's critical is to try to stay out of that eight. So this is really down to LMU and Portland uh, between these two squads. They do play each other on Saturday, so this is they do have a direct line to that eight seed. Uh, winner of that one stays out of it. Loser of that game probably ends up in it. San Diego. They have a couple of games left on their schedule. And for them, it's LMU and Pacific. So if they handle their business either on Thursday or on Saturday, 
they will end up the five seed. They'll be the the top seed of that uh, first round, those first round games. And Pepperdine is probably going to be right where they are. That five and 10, they do hold tiebreakers against LMU. So they are probably going to be sitting right there in the sixth seed. But I, it really does look like we're going to probably see, in my mind, Portland Pacific, that opening round, that opener, San Diego the five, Pepperdine the six, LMU the seven. Uh, Santa Clara does feel like it's going to end up being that four seed. USF has the three, Gonzaga has the two. It's cleared out a little bit more. Still a few games left to go. There are still some craziness could happen. But that's about where I think is what's going to happen with this. All right. So one of the other things that's kind of come up, one of the other things to look at is we are now, as we only have one more week of WCC play left, you can kind of start to look at who the potential award winners are going to be. And I think it's cleared up a bit more uh, for certain awards and not so clear for others. But I think right now, like I know like early on, I haven't talked about the player of the year candidacy probably in a while. Um, maybe not since the beginning of the year, but right now, I mean, it'd be hard. You'd be hard pressed not to take Graham EK as player of the year. Uh, I think you can make the case for Anton Watts. I mean, you can sort of make the case for Jonathan Mobo. I saw someone throw Augustus Marshallonis in that category as well, but consistency throughout the course of the year the impact that he has had individually. And then of course, like this is a, a lot of times a largely offensive award and he has been the most efficient offensive player in the league period. I don't think there's a way around that. That's just kind of like the way this is lined up. Graham EK has played well in WCC play. He played sort of well in non-conference uh, but no one else has really grabbed hold of that award, and I think that's the other thing. And so we there, you could have made the case for Dama Ball maybe about a month ago, but with his with his injuries, with his play since he's returned, I don't think you can have him in that combo anymore. So that's where I'm looking at for that one. Uh, Defensive Player of the Year, I think, is a little bit harder. Because I can go in one of two ways. One of them seems like the easiest way to go, and that's Anton Watson. He has been one, if not the best defender in the WCC collectively over the last few years. He has some of the, the metrics to back it up. He ha- He's fifth in the league in rebounding. He's second in the league in steals. So you can look at that and be like, yeah, he's also a guy who belongs in that conversation. And, but the one who might be maybe more so the fit here, if I'm just looking at the individual year, is Jonathan Mobo. He's first in rebounds per game. He's first in steals. He's, he is, he also fills up the statute on the defensive end. And he has been the backside anchor for a USF team that is not terribly big. And he has been everything that they had hoped for. So I, 
I almost want to lean toward Mobo as being that defensive player of the year. As opposed to Watson. But it's definitely one of those, like, I could flip a coin and I would be accept either one. Looking at the others, I'm just going to, I'll quick fire through these. Uh, newcomer of the year, I think, it's like, now it's, I think, very clear. It's Ryan Nemhard. I think you can't not give it to him. Uh, he The way he's played over the last month and a half has really kind of, like, excelled him past Jonathan Mobo, who would have been the other candidate for that one. Um, the fact that he is not, and the fact that Mobo is not going to be the player of the year makes it much easier to say that Nemard is the newcomer of the year. Coach of the year. I mean, this is, this is easy. This is Randy Bennett. Uh, with, with what St. Mary's has been able to accomplish this year. Uh, the fact that they are 14 and 0, they have a shot to be be undefeated in WCC play. The coaching job he's done all year long. I think it's you'd be hard pressed to convince me of anybody else actually deserving it this year. Uh, so that makes that makes it easy. And then the six man, this will this becomes actually a little bit more difficult because I think I still had it in the pocket of being Ben Gregg, but Ben Gregg moved to being a starter midway through. Uh, conference play and I mean heck maybe it is still him maybe it is, I still say that it's Ben Gregg because he still played majority of the season coming off the bench because, may, because maybe I'm starting to make the case for Luke Barrett I might be able to uh, make the case for someone like Brenton Napper although even Napper has started to actually come off the bench a bit more and more that one is maybe the one of the more challenging ones because it's always like, well, it's like if you're a six man, like you likely are going to end up coming off the bench and become a starter at some point. If you really are playing that well consistently and that has been, that was the case for Ben Gregg. So, you know what? I'm going to stick to Ben Gregg because he was the guy most of the year, most of the season even though the last month or so is where he's actually played his best basketball and it's been as a starter uh, for Mark View. All right, we are, we, again, we only have one more week before the end of WCC play. We have two weeks, really week and a half-ish before the start of the WCC tournament. I will be making the trip down to Las Vegas, so we'll have plenty of content uh, for that week. I'm going to try to organize something a little special going into the tournament for next week. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And, and I will cut it off here. My voice is still kind of trying to find its way back. Um, but we will definitely be doing more and more content as we get closer to Vegas. Once we're in Vegas, all of that good stuff. All right. That'll do it for this episode of the unofficial WCC hoops podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming services, uh, follow on social media at post by Zach and on, on Twitter as well on off WCC pot. All right. That'll do it. Have a good week, everyone. And I will catch you later.